0: going on out there everyone welcome back to another episode of the unfounded podcast my name is chris turner i am your host uh, i hope you're doing well out there i hope you're staying safe not catching any viruses uh, <laughs> you know, staying i guess indoors anyway i hope you've been enjoying the uh, podcast episodes thus far and i'm back at it today uh it's been about, about three or four days since my last episode and uh, i actually have been working on the podcast just not on the actual new episode i uh transferred over my podcast. So I went probably about two months ago. Now I, I transferred my podcast from one of my hosting platforms to another one, uh, called captivate. And I've been working with that one for the last couple months, but been having some issues, uh, basically just not, it's not publishing properly, that kind of stuff. So I had to transfer the podcast again, uh, to a platform that I had used before. Sorry. I just pulled my headphones out. Hold on one second. Um, a, pl- a platform I had used before, uh, called Simplecast. Uh, that I've just liked better and worked a lot better. I was more familiar with. So I ended up going through the process to transfer that over, but it uh, didn't work right. And so some of the podcast episodes didn't transfer and some of the things got deleted. And so I spent no crap, like probably nine or 10 hours yesterday going through every single episode, redoing all of the you know show notes and uh, uploading audio again sometimes. I guess for some reason it deleted the audio. Um, so anyway, everything should be pretty good. Like it was kind really of nice to go back through the episodes and reorganize things and kind of uh, put different new summaries that are a little more accurate in there, things like that, um, so that it's uh, just a little more organized, like a little more presentable, right? Uh, so I got did that yesterday, and that took a lot of time, but it was also pretty cool. You know, it's pretty enjoyable. I, it was nice to go back through and kind of um, engage with some of the episodes that I hadn't gone back and listened to in a while, you know, and see the progression of what I've been talking about uh, from the beginning and how it's progressing through the current events and things like that. So it's been interesting. Um, <clears throat> anyways uh today i've been kind of you know i just got back from a walk it's a beautiful day here in denver colorado uh it was snowing two days ago like crazy we got like a, like what 13 or 14 inches of snow here in thornton <laughs> um a couple days ago but it stopped i mean this colorado weather is so neurotic it it'll switch literally in a matter of hours so it was what 24 degrees and snowing uh over a foot two days ago and today it is uh, probably mid 60s to low 60s and snow is completely melted (laughs) that's the springtime for you in colorado right um but it's kind of nice that it's you know i can smell spring in the air it's nice to have the winter kind of ebbing and uh, getting a little more more of that springtime green back in um it's been much needed this this winter feels like it took forever Uh, maybe because like the last end of it was also isolation filled (laughs) you know but hey um Anyways, I do have some things I want to talk about today. Uh, a couple things. We'll see if I get to all of them, because I might just split it off and make a couple episodes maybe tomorrow. But uh, there's just one idea that I really want to talk about and bring up, because it, I saw... Where did I I was doing something yesterday. Oh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday. I think it was Joe Rogan. She usually is. And um, he was talking to... I'm can't. i I'm sorry. I can't remember which episode it was, because I listened to a couple of them. Uh, anyway, he mentioned this idea uh, of morphic resonance it's called i had never heard of the idea before uh until i until he uh, joe kind of explained it a little bit or at least somebody did i can't remember if it was his guest or him um, and so i i looked it up because right away i was like "Ooh, ooh, that sounds like it it matches quite well with some of the things we've been talking about in here so i'm going to kind of read to you this idea a little description of what this is it was uh first penned by rupert sheldrake He published a book uh, entitled, what is it called here? I'm sorry. Uh, New Science of Life is the name of the book, and it was published in 1981. Um, Like I said, the author is Rupert Sheldrake, and he is a former director of studies in biochemistry and cell biology at Cambridge University. Uh, who was from london originally so uh, anyway i have this pulled up on google books this is a book you can purchase i haven't purchased it yet but i will be doing that and reading it here soon but i'm going to read you a little bit of the uh what the book's about and we'll talk about it afterwards so uh rupert sheldrake and new science for life after chemists crystallized a new chemical for the first time it became easier and easier to crystallize in laboratories all over the world after rats at Harvard first escaped from a new kind of water maze, successive, successive generations learned quicker and quicker. Then rats in Melbourne, Australia, learned even yet learned yet faster. Rats with no trained ancestors shared in this improvement. Rupert Sheldrake's, Sheldrake sees these processes as examples of morphic resonance. Past forms and activities of organisms, he argues, influence organisms. In the past uh, excuse me i'm sorry i'm having a hard time reading here in the present through direct connections across time and space individual plants and animals both draw upon and contribute to the collective memory of their species sheldrake now director of the parrot Warwick project supported by trinity college so he's still working on some other stuff it sounds like anyway i wanted to read that to you because i don't know if you pulled it out of there there's some interest this is a really interesting research that i just came across um <clears throat> Now I have another article pulled up here and I'm going to read through this one. Cause it's a little better job of describing what this work means. Uh, and it, like I said, I haven't been able to engage with the, the source yet with the new science of life. But I'm going to purchase this book and try to read through it, get some more information and see what the methodology was, all that kind of stuff behind the testing here. But, um, <clears throat> anyway, I'm going to read you a little excerpt from scientific American. This is by Michael Shermer. Uh, this was posted on November 1st, 2005. So quite a while ago, actually. Um, let's see. Have you ever noticed how much easier it is to do a newspaper crossword puzzle later in the day? Me neither. But according to Rupert Sheldrake, it is because the collective successes of the morning resonate through the cultural morphic field. In Sheldrake's theory of morphic resonance, similar forms, morphs, or fields of information reverberate and exchange information with a universal life force. Natural systems such as termite colonies or pigeons or orchid plants or insulin molecules inherit a collective memory from all previous things of their kind however far away they were and however long ago they existed sheldrake writes in his book in 1988 things are as they are because they are as they were that's an interesting quote i like that things are as they are because they are they were as they were that's that's a hard one to say In this book and subsequent ones, Sheldrake, a botanist, trained at the University of Cambridge, details the theory. So um, I like that little intro there. Uh, I think that did a little better job of explaining what he's talking about. Um, But apparently Rupert gleaned... uh, Apparently Rupert found evidence of this cultural morphic field, fields of information, that organic... Or organisms tap into. It's a method of passing information down from uh, past species and organisms to current ones. Uh, but apparently, it is not. It doesn't matter how long ago these things happen. So, um, I, if this is true, like I said, I have to engage with it a little more. It's blowing my mind because. <laughs> was it? Four episodes ago, something like that. We were talking about, I started talking about ants, ant colonies, about how I like to watch ant colonies and kind of like, think about what, what they're doing, like how they're communicating. You know what I mean? And this is what I, this is the idea I was playing with. Was this what Rupert is talking about? But I wasn't able to like (laughs) describe it properly. You know what I mean? Apparently somebody has described the process that I was trying to enunciate there. Um, And apparently it's provable. So there is something to that communication, freaky communication. Uh, Einstein talks about freaky. Einstein, let me, let me bring this back up. I think I've I brought this up before. Einstein's f- uh, freaky, genius theory. That's what it is. Something like that. Oh, spooky action at a distance. That's what it is. Okay, so Albert Einstein colorfully dismissed quantum entanglement. The ability of separated objects to share a condition or state as spooky action at a distance. Uh, I don't know why I read that. That was just like a little excerpt. That doesn't make any sense because I'm pretty sure Einstein's who came up with the description spooky action at a distance, which is this idea that you can entangle two particles and that if you do something to one particle, regardless of its position in time and space relative to the other one, the other something will happen. The same thing will happen to the other one at the same moment in time, right? So let's say I have a particle um, in London and a particle in in New York. And I take that particle and I move it to the left six inches in London, instant if these two if these two particles are entangled, instantly the other one will move six inches. That's a very primitive explanation of what we're, of what we're talking about, but that's that's essentially the idea, right? This entanglement idea. Spooky action at a distance. This has been observed, right? Like Quantum entanglement is an actual thing that we can prove. It's scientifically provable. Now, what that's describing this is, is kind of what that is was described by Einstein a very long time ago. Spooky action at a distance. He called it spooky because there's something weird about it. How is there communication going on there? How are we trans- transferring information if there's no infrastructure for the transfer? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no biological infrastructure or mechanical infrastructure or electronic infrastructure, whatever, to, to make that happen. And so something freaky is happening there. Einstein correctly labeled it as such. And I'm wondering if there might be some kind of relation between this spooky action at a distance and Rupert's resonance Theory, a new science for life. Right? It's also interesting because this may be a, a, a this may be an area where the spiritual and the scientific worlds are colliding. You've heard of psychics, right? <laughs> I don't think anybody hasn't. One second, sorry. Psychics, right? Everybody's heard of psychics. Well, what are they doing? They claim to do this. They claim to either receive communication or to communicate with other beings, things or entities at a distance without any infrastructure in place to elicit that communication, meaning they talk to the air, but they get responses back that, that, that freaky action at a distance, it appears they're talking to the air, but they're tapping into something else, right? If you accept the idea of quantum entanglement, then what, what could be happening? Or if you, if you try to describe site, the psychic experience as qu- it relates to quantum entanglement then what may be happening with psychics it, what, what a psychic may be is someone and now i know there's a lot of like let me let me put this out there like i think there's a lot of people out there that are fake psychics right i don't know for sure but i think there's a lot of people in there that play into this idea of psychic i also believe that there's real psychics out there you may think i'm crazy for believing that but it's what i believe it's true i think there's really people out there that can do this and i think there's proof of how they're doing it we just haven't it's not very popular right um it doesn't fit the, the classic scientific perspective theory narrative right it's a little freaky and so it gets deleted from <laughs> the annals of fucking and not, it doesn't get deleted but it gets hidden in the annals of scientific thought right and We need to kind of start to tap into some of these ideas because they're all obviously like screaming to be let loose. What is, you know, that psychic phenomenon? We can... We can we have something in science that's provable that has a similar effect a similar mechanism communication at a distance right information being passed without any means of that information being passed in place that's what's happening in psychics that's what they're claiming to have happen and you have the situation provable and observable in science in the scientific world right you can you can you can test quantum entanglement and prove it right so the the why are we so much more skeptical of people claiming that they can have the same... They have the same thing happening? Right? It's a, it sounds like the same process. Communication at a distance, right? And... and What I'm wondering is if, like, this, this like... You know, we've been talking about... I don't know. I'm trying to crystallize it because there's a lot that's rushing in right now, man. Like, um what i'm trying to figure out here is is there's our worlds are aligning the religious spiritual world is aligning in a weird way with the scientific physical world it's it's starting to appear as if there's an overlap there that they're not you know, as they have appeared to be throughout the 20th century opposites, they're more two sides of the same coin, right? As we've been kind of postulating in this podcast. Now, I think figuring out what this is, diving into morphic resonance, engaging with researchers like Rupert and Einstein, and trying to kind of compile all the information and then see how it works together, we may be able to glean more insight into what this thing is than we've been able to thus far through combining those those worlds, you know what I mean? The spiritual and the scientific. Seeing where those overline, we, you glean some like in, like basic truth out of that, right? The two perspectives can agree on the same thing. There's something very basically true about it. If two perspectives are witnessing the same thing and describing it, like how have we not connected those dots? Why haven't we connected those dots? Maybe that's a better question. Why haven't we connected those dots? Why haven't we associated Einstein's action, freaky action at a distance with Rupert's morphic resonance theory? i haven't read it yet maybe that's what rupert does i'll have to read and like i said i'm going to do more on this i'm going to do more research on this and then bring more information back to you guys right uh if you want to engage with it on your own definitely do there's definitely there's tons of information out here just type in uh the guy's name was it rupert uh what's his name again rupert sheldrake uh and the name of the book new science of life um do your own research right but there's this thread i want to follow i want to keep following this and see where it leads us you know what is this what is the what is this freaky action that's taking place what is this communication that, that psychics claim to have with people or beings that are past and present. Some of the things that he says in this is like, it doesn't pass forms or organisms uh, regardless of their distance from one another in time and space, right? So it doesn't matter if it's somebody that lived or, or a thing that lived billions of years ago, the information that thing gleaned gets passed on somehow and retained. You can actually see this and that's what evolution is, Right? It's the passing down of this learned information, I feel like in some way that's kind of maybe maybe we've been conceptualizing evolution wrong because we've taken the life out of it in a in a sense like like the the way I conceptualize the theory of evolution is is as uh, as a natural proce- process that isn't active. It's not an active process, meaning the world isn't actively sitting there picking the traits that are the best. It's a natural sortation mechanism, right? Meaning that the the traits that are the most dominant are the traits that propagate because there's more of them. So it just naturally, the traits that are less dominant, less prone to survival, get eliminated because they don't propagate as much, right? And just this, in, this basic truth inbuilt to nature. Well, what if that's not the case? Maybe that's, maybe that's not the only case. What if like there is this other layer of information that is passed, not just through some lifeless kind of mechanism, but through like a basic fundamental infrastructure that's built into the universe itself you know it, like the uh, if you've watched the movie avatar you know um there's this idea in avatar that the world itself the, the was i forget what the name of the, the planet is i know that the people are called the navi um but the planet that they're on uh is alive and, and one of the things that the researchers are doing is trying to tap into these kind of organic uh neurological systems that are that are built into the planet itself uh the trees themselves are kind of like neurons and synapses connecting the whole thing globally and it's this idea that the thing is alive it is a thinking thing it is similar to your brain in a sense and is conscious in a way and that the roots of the trees these connections are, are are these are physical connections that pass information you know and um and there's something, and, and and there's this idea in that movie too that the Navi can tap into this, right? That they can tap in. There's this, there's a method of tapping into um, the global consciousness, and there's, there's information that's stored there, right? And that when you tap into that, you can. That's that's when we glean the information that pushes the society, the 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 planet, the civilization forward. It's through. You know, it, it's not through novel gleaning of information. It's, it's, it's like, it, I forget who quoted this. I'll have to look this up. But there's this, uh, somebody very famous, I remember said, that was, was quoted saying something to the effect of, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, 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 there are no new ideas, something like that, that every idea is coming from a place before you, in order to have a novel idea, you have to tap into something that came before. And so any novel idea is not that it's, it's, it's. It's an evolution of another idea, <clears throat> right? And um, I know that's a movie, <laughs> right? Um, but when I was I was watching that movie recently, just like a week ago. It's one of my one of my favorite movies. I love Avatar, absolutely fantastic. I love James Cameron. Period. But um, he makes fantastic movies. But the I was watching that, and I remember getting to the part where they were doing that research—they're tapping into the trees and looking at it as like synapses in a brain. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, is there something to that, man? Like, is that is that just a fun idea we're playing with, or could there be something to that? Because I see a lot of other research that points in that direction—that that that might be a real thing, right? That, like, for instance, like if we consider trees living things, which they are—they're organic things, right? They're living. They're alive. And we consider ants living things, but All both very primitive forms of life, right? But we consider them live, alive. And we recognize that the ant can communicate at a large scale and can form complex structures and systems without any... using some form of communication that we can't readily tap into or figure out, right? Like, wouldn't you assume that the trees are doing the same thing? You, you know what I mean? Like, if you see every major life form, living life form around us, communicating in some way, even if it's very, very primitive, you have to assume that trees, if they're living, can communicate too, right? Like, like uh, in some primitive way. You have to assume that communication is a product of life, that they're tied together that communication and life are the same, like they're, they're, they're parts of the same thing. And that if life exists, there is a form of communication and built with built within it. And that the trees themselves can communicate through some form of biochemical, whatever. Right. But there is some form of communication going on there. Um, I think there's something to this idea. I think there's something to it. Uh, as it relates to this, uh, morphic resonance i've talked about resonance before too right that the way you understand when you're uh, the way you know you're close to something true you're close to something with intrinsic value is you have this resonance feeling there's this time elongation or time stoppage effect that you can notice you can actually like wit. Wh- you can feel uh and that i think when you realize when you when, no, when that is happening, when time is shifting, when its when its passage is seeming to, seemingly morphing, those are times when you should be paying the most attention. That's when you should be the most tapped in to whatever you are doing at that moment, because it's deeply important for some reason that you may not know at the moment, but you will at some point. There's a reason you are doing that. There's a reason that you are tapped in. There's a reason that time is moving. It's trying to show you there's something timeless about what you are doing. Maybe it's not the act, but the the idea you're engaging in. There's something important. There's something deep about it. Maybe it's the thing that indicates to you that you are tapping into a deeper knowledge. Time, time, the illusion of time, ceases. Or morphs. Morphic resonance. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm going to have to I'm going to have to read more of this because I I don't have enough information to talk uh, like I said I haven't read the book yet so I don't have I don't know what his methodology was or anything like that but I'm really excited because I think this guy may have the means to help me describe what I'm talking about a little bit better you know and I think that's kind of what the process is I think that's kind of how you come up with novel ideas like I just said it's an evolution there's an audacity built into the idea that you can have a novel idea if you think you can really have a new idea that nobody else has had before, like, <laughs> like, it's, I I felt like that before, but I'm just saying it's not the, it's not the best idea to play into. Like, don't, it's an ego problem. Like, because even if you think you're having a novel idea, you aren't. Everything, every, every piece of information you have, you, now, has been gleaned from somebody else, or something else, or has been learned before, I think. And, and what happens when we refer to new ideas, what they really are is more evolution an, evolution, an evolutionary conglomerate of ideas past. It's combining old ideas where they overlap and presenting it as new. Maybe that's it. Hmm. I was talking to my mom a lot today again. You know, and I I, <laughs> I get, you know, it's really weird. Um, like I've said before, I try to not force these, you know, I, I think I'm treating, I'm treating this podcast as a artistic expression of myself. Right. And I think for any kind of art project, for lack of a better way of describing it, to be true, to be meaningful, to have value, it has to be, it has to evolve on its own there's a process and i think you can if you if you listen to most i mean usually you hear like painters talk about this or musicians but you can't rush it like there's a certain there's a certain time it's like cook time that you have to have for things right and it has to like it has to bake for a while (laughs) you know what i mean this for some reason i don't know why that is like we'll have to table that and figure that out at some point but like you know there's this there's this There's this necessary developmental time that you have to allow when you're dealing with ideas, especially ideas that are influential and and profound, right? but I was talking to her. Sorry for the pause. <laughs> I was thinking, um, and you know, I, I get into these modes where, you know, the last couple of times, actually, like I'll, I'll call my parents and it's probably partially because I'm just so isolated right now. I just get in the mode where I need to talk. Cause like I, I don't talk to people for days at a time sometimes. So I'll call and I'll just kind of start to rant kind of like I do on this. Like it's basically the same thing as the podcast, just like talking to one person. And, um, but I always find like there's certain times where I'll call and then I'll talk about these ideas. I was talking about I, you need the bake time, right? It's like that's my bake time, you know, is like I, I have my parents as an outlet for that. And and they're the, the people that I use to engage the ideas. With. I want to bounce them off of somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I want to bounce what I'm thinking off, off of somebody. And I, I do that with you guys as well, but it's not the same process because I don't get a response back from you guys, at least not very often, right? Or not directly. It's, that process happens with my parents or my friends or whatever. And so there is this baking time that is necessary. You have to engage with the ideas, throw them out there, and let them see, see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, let them, uh, let them venture out into the world and see if they come back whole. You know what I mean? Um, and if they do, then you present them then you incorporate them, right? Then you can incorporate that into a a greater understanding of what the universe is, you know? Um, Jordan Peterson talks about this. He describes kind of how he conceptualizes, uh, the best way I understood what he was describing, his way of organizing thoughts is similar to the way I've always done it. And it's it's in... It's as if there's this massive puzzle, for lack of a better term, way of describing it but a network of ideas there's this massive network of ideas and that there's gaps in this network and that when you encounter a gap in the network or you counter information that could possibly fill in the gap you take that piece of information you plug it in and you see what happens and then you see how it affects all the other pieces of information around it you know you take that puzzle piece and you plug it in and then you look at it from a backward like a, a a higher perspective and you say how does that idea fit in with every other idea that i've incorporated into my understanding of the world and you 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 let that process run and you see how it works. And if it doesn't work or it doesn't fit, then you have to go about the the process of figuring out if it was that piece that messed everything up or if that piece doesn't fit. You see what I'm saying? Right? If if everything else is the problem and you have to throw everything out and just save that one piece or if it's the opposite, right? If that piece is it doesn't fit, if that piece isn't right, if there's something off about that idea that needs to be, you know, reconfigured before it can fit in properly you know this process is kind of how i conceptualize ideas as well and so you know you need to play with them um i do think that's one of the most important things you can do or learn the skill you can learn in your life is to play with ideas you know philosophy in some senses that's what it is it's the it's the process of playing with ideas i think and and um We've reached a point in human history, I think, that these we have so many f- provable things surrounding us that the gaps in our knowledge have become harder to identify. We've covered them up, you know. Like we've we've ran by, we, we we've 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 labeled you know whole sections of understanding as understood, without recognizing that there's gaps in between those individual pieces of knowledge that make up that understanding and that we haven't filled those in yet <laughs> but we still present every idea as if it's founded or as if there is no gaps and it is my job i think i think it is my purpose for being here to try to prod those and to pull out to try to fill in those gaps but through the very critical process of of taking new ideas incorporating them seeing how they function and either you know allowing them to to stay adjusting them where they need be or you know throwing them out entirely these may be some new ideas we need to start incorporating or may have been passed over you know rupert's resonance melodic resonance, melodic resonance is the name of my episode morphic resonance how weird would that have been if i would have named the episode morphic resonance i was so close to naming the episode when i was talking about resonance uh this i named it melodic resonance was the name of the episode where i was focusing on resonating with things and then I find this like two months later, morphic resonance. <laughs> you know, it's freaky, man. There's something freaky about the way information is passed. There's a nudging that the universe will will do, I think, when you start to go down a certain path where there's there's a gap. It wants you to it wants you to fill in. You gotta listen for it, you know. What speaks to you. I'm gonna read more about this. And we're gonna have some more talks on morphic resonance and see if we can fit that idea into our conception of the world. Uh, and see see how it plays, right? But I, I think, you know, I moving on. Um Yeah, you know, I was gonna move on to talk about the coronavirus again. <laughs> What I'm starting to see, um, and I think this is something we got to watch moving forward, is you're starting to see the anger pop up, um, and it's gonna. I think it's gonna get more. People are gonna get more aggressive in the months to come. I think, and it's because uh, there's been some serious infringes on basic rights that have taken place uh, throughout this coronavirus coronavirus crisis there's some fundamental misunderstandings uh, i think that many of our political leaders have of what the united states is what the principles are and how it should function very fundamental flaws in the way we are running our government the way we are assuming the, in, in in the role of our government as it relates to the citizenry it's completely backwards you know we've talked a little bit about this founding fathers were very very afraid of tyranny you know they were, th- they, were they had been living under a desp- despot right was it king henry v wasn't that the wasn't that the let me see who was the king oh, i just want to double check i'm curious who was the king during the u.s revolution king henry oh it's king george okay that's what it was king george yeah okay uh king george the third um but we were we were living under a despot, you know. We, we didn't have representation, right? Taxation without representation was one of the big, big complaints that you, you heard from the colonists. Um, so there was this inbuilt fear, you know, uh, of being controlled that way and creating a country where that could happen again. And so when we designed this country, we specifically designed it to control that kind of power consolidation, right? One of the ways we did that is by separating church and state. Because our founding fathers understood that people are not inherently moral, that morality in some sense is a technology. <laughs> and that morality is a technology and that in some sense religion could also be viewed as a technology in that sense. And that it is important for those two things, the government the institution of government and the institution of religion to stay separate because they promote or incentivize different things. And that the consolidation of those two influences create it, it creates a power... It, it, cre- it creates an entity that is too powerful for its own good that has no other option besides... It has no other method of operating besides tyranny. And so... We separated those things out, you know, because I truly believe that it's it's one of the places that we've gone wrong is that we've deleted the institution from our society that is supposed to provide the guide rails, the ethical and moral guide rails that keep our economy and our government functioning properly, functioning for the good of the society and not for the good of individuals within the society, right? That You have to have the religious aspect there too. You delete the religious aspect, there's no moral or ethical guardrails because they don't, they're they not inbuilt in people inherently. And this is a fundamental debate, I think, that is happening right now between the liberal and conservative sides. This is the debate that is going on. It, it Basically distilled, it is, are people inherently good or are people inherently bad? Are they going to do what's good for themselves? Or are they going to choose altruism? That's the question you have to ask yourself. <clears throat> if you side on the altruistic side that you think that people are going to choose the right thing more often than not, then you probably are more liberal leaning. I would be willing to bet that because the ideas that pop out of that are going to be more liberal ideas. But if you say the opposite, if you assume that people are, are inherently selfish, right, that people are go- not selfish, not the right, but people have their own interests at heart deep down they are going to choose survival over everything else. And because of that, people are more inherently selfish than they are altruistic, right? If you agree with that, you're probably more conservative or your political views probably lean to the more conservative side. What we are having right now I think in the U.S. is a fundamental debate based on that. And what's scaring me is is I think the idea that people are inherently good is winning out, and that's dangerous. That's very, very dangerous because they aren't. They aren't. And it's exactly how you create these power consolidation moves is by, is by allowing, giving people the leeway to take it. You see what I'm saying? And, and one of the things that disturbed me in the coronavirus response was the closing of churches because it was illegal. It is is against the constitution for the federal government to shut down a church. You cannot do that. A religious sense that it is. And there's a reason for that you know what I mean it's it's because if you shut down churches who do people have to turn to only one entity the government and the government isn't isn't guided by the same ethical and moral principles and so people within the government can tell you to do really horrible shit and you'll do it because it's the only place to look to Soviet Russia this happened Let me look something up real quick. Give me one second, guys. So I want to read this. This is on Wikipedia. It's called the persecution of Christians in the Soviet Union. Now I'm not reading this because I am a Christian or Catholic. I'm not reading this as like a sob story or anything like that. I'm reading it to demonstrate to you what happens when you have a political system and a religious system or when you allow a political system to overtake a religious system. Throughout the history of the Soviet Union, 1917 to 1991, there were periods when Soviet authorities brutally suppressed and prosecuted various forms of Christianity to different extents depending on state interests. Soviet Marxist-Leninist policy consistently advocated for the control, suppression, and ultimately the elimination of religious beliefs, and it actively encouraged the propagation of Marxist-Leninist atheism in the Soviet Union. However, most religions were never officially outlawed. The state advocated the destruction of religion, and to achieve this goal, it officially denounced religious beliefs as superstitious and Backward, the Communist Party destroyed churches, synagogues, and mosques, ridiculed, harassed, and incarcerated, and executed religious leaders. Flooded the schools and media with anti-religious teachings, and introduced a belief system called scientific atheism, with its own rituals, promises, and proselytizers. According to some sources, the number of the total number of Christian victims on the Soviet regime has been estimated to range around 12 to 20 million. Most people don't know that 12 to 20 million Christians murdered in the Soviet Union. And many of those victims were of different religious backgrounds as well, not only in the domestic and private spheres, but also in the scattered public spaces, which were allowed to exist by a state that recognized its failure to eradicate religion and the political dangers of an unrelenting cultural war. So... Um, there's a picture here. Uh, it's the demolition of one of the cathedrals. If you've ever seen the, the, if you look at pictures of Russia and you see the beautiful architecture, those big buildings, colorful buildings with the great big steeples and domes and stuff, those are Russian Orthodox churches. Uh, and those are a lot of what were demolished, uh, in the, in the m- mid to early 1900s, uh, in Soviet Russia in thirties, the 1930s. Uh, and, um, the idea... and Let me read more. Like I said, this is all on Wikipedia. I'll post it for you after this. Uh, anti-religious campaign 1917 to 1921. In August 1917, following the collapse of the Tsarist government, a council of Russian Orthodox Church reestablished the patriar- Patriarchate and elected... I can't pronounce that word. And elected the Metropolitan Tikhon as Patriarch. In November 1917, within weeks of revolution, the People's Commissariat for Enlightenment was established which a month later created the All-Russian Union of Teachers Internationalists for the purpose of removing religious instruction from school curricula. In order to intensify the anti-religious propaganda in the school system, the chief administration for political enlightenment was established in November 1920. Lenin's decree on the separation of church and state in early 1918 deprived the formerly official church of its status of legal person, the right to own property, or to teach religion in both state and private schools, or to any group of minors. The decree abolished the privileges of the church, and thus ended the alliance between church and state. The clergy openly attacked the decree. The leadership of the church issued a special appeal to believers to obstruct the enforcement of the decree. In addition, the decree on the separation of the church from the state and the school from the church also determined the relationship between school and church. School shall not shall be separated from the church, the decree said. The teaching of religious doctrines in all the state and public, as well as private education, educational institutions where general subjects are taught shall not be permitted. Citizens may teach and be taught religion in private. Okay, so I'm going to stop there because this goes on for a very long time. But what it's saying is they're setting up a system very similar to what we have here, saying, hey, we want to separate church and state, right? We want to keep them separate. And you can still... You know, you can still celebrate and, and learn about church on your private time, but you can't learn in schools, right? Can't We're not going to teach anything about ch- uh, church in schools, religion in schools. Fine, right? Problem is, follow that idea long enough. You separate out the, you know, the, 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 the two entities are, are separated. What ended up happening is the destruction and the murder of those entities once they are separated. <laughs> so it's like, okay, we don't want to have the church intermingled with the government. That's a good idea. Um, but once it's separated, then it's a power <laughs> There's a, they have they hold power as an institution, and so then it's like then it's a tribal game. It's like, okay, are we more powerful, the federal government, or is the you know the Russian Orthodox Church more powerful? Many times, people will side with their religion before they'll side with their government. So, what does the government do? It eliminates the religion. See what I'm saying? And that's what happened. And Twenty million people died. You know, Am I saying that's going to happen in the United States? Absolutely not. But I do think it's this secular point of view that is leading us down a very similar path. I think it's actually eerie if you read about some of the things that happened in Soviet Russia. Some of the ideas how they developed. You know? I have a problem not with the government because I, I expect the government to try to do that. I expect the government to try to infringe on the rights of the of the of the religious institutions. Uh, it's in some ways it's going to. It's it's like a, it's the same idea you have with uh, with people themselves like they're they're fallible. So yeah, they're going to do things like that. Like the problem is is the church has to be its own thing. It has to stand up to that. It has to be you know strong. In times like these, where if the government comes in and says, hey, close your doors, they say, uh, no, because we're a separate thing and you can't tell us to do that. It's protected by law. Why didn't no, I mean, why was there so few churches now they're doing that? Now you see churches across like Texas and all these other areas doing that, saying, hey, screw you. We're keeping the doors open. Why didn't no churches do that to begin with when this all kicked off? Like I said, I'm Catholic. I'm very upset with the Pope. Very upset with the Pope. That sh- this should have been a big debate on a national stage, not on a world stage, and that Pope should have had it because this was wrong. You don't get to shut the jaws of religious institutions. I don't care if every single person in the in the in the world is dying. You don't get to do it because it's exact and the reason you don't get to do it is because I can't trust you and none of us can You're, in order for me to do that we have to trust the federal government that what they're saying is 100% accurate that is dangerous we're supposed to question them not trust them blindly but what did the religious institutions do instead of questioning that move they said okay they played into the fear the very institutions that are supposed to be the places that we look to when the government shuts down shut their doors before the government did. So now we have only one place to look the government. What I worry about is this may have a very negative, detrimental effect on a lot of religious institutions. Because you just undermined everything you stand for, at least Christianity. You played into the fear. You gave up the separation that was protected by law. And now that it's been infringed, it'll be infringed again and again and again and again, over and over again. Because the, the government knows it can do it now. The government knows now oh, if people are scared enough, close down the churches. See what I'm saying? And they can, and you'll listen. <laughs> We're in a worse spot in that sense than I thought we were. We're so... Oh, man. I keep on going back and forth with this idea of whether we're controllable or not. You know, I I, I keep on saying that people aren't very controllable. You know, They're hard to... People don't listen, man. They don't listen. People don't... You tell them one thing, they do the opposite. Almost every time. I I believe that. But at the same time, I also believe that... (laughs) The way you eliminate choice itself is by just not giving people options, and that I think that's what we're, we're heading towards. So the government, if if this keep going down, if we keep going down this road, the government's going to be the source for everything. It's it'll be the source for your health care it'll be the source for your pay. You know, we do the idea like Andrew Yang was talking about, where we do this like two thousand dollars a month or whatever it is. You know, universal basic income. The idea is attractive. I'm, don't get me wrong. But think about it for a second. Let's say we institute that universal basic pay. We institute universal basic healthcare, We institute all of these kind of like larger programs, you know, safety net programs and stuff to where most of the things you need, you get from the federal government, right? One source. Why would you need to look to anybody else as, a, as an authority figure? Why would you trust anybody else as an authority figure? You see how that power consolidation naturally happens as soon as you start to look to one entity as the, as the method of fixing everything? The other part of this is I don't think this is intentional. I don't think there's like a puppet master in the United States, at least, that is intentionally trying to um, consolidate this power, which is, I think, m- might be the only difference between us and the Soviet Union right now, is that we don't have a figure like Lenin that is pushing for this kind of reform, <laughs> right? Yet. We've had people like him though lennon was very popular very popular when, when lennon died i forget how many people showed up to his funeral it was ridiculous but he was also like i think is he still on display i'm pretty sure lennon is still on display let me see here his body was like preserved is lennon still on display His preserved body has been on public display there since shortly after his death in 1924. Yeah. Lenin's mausoleum. He is still being displayed. I believe this is in the red square too, isn't it? Isn't that where it is? Um, But anyway, uh, I mean, this guy was like raised up as a God in Russia, right? Um, Stalin came after Lenin and Stalin was usually associated as more of like a Hitler type figure. Uh, whereas Lenin is usually associated with more of a revolutionary figure, right? Um, but still, to this day, Lenin is looked at as a hero. You know, and many would say that you could you could attribute hundreds of millions of you could attribute more deaths in the 20th century to Lenin than to Hitler maybe not directly but there's a line there for sure (laughs) the millions upon millions of people that died under the Soviet Union are a direct I mean the Soviet Union was instituted by Lenin the Marxist revolution right why did I go down there I don't know I don't know like I said I've been ranting I was ranting to my mom this is the stuff I was talking about but it was like one of those times where, like, I was on the phone with her, and I'm like, I need to sit down and do the podcast, right? Because obviously, I got shit to say, and <laughs> it's better to say it to people that you know, are, you know, that are tuning in for that purpose than to me just rant randomly, you know, to somebody on the phone. Um, anyway, we got to be careful because you know these <sighs> these ideas are attractive. Like I said, you really if you really want to freak yourself out, just go read like read a little bit of the Communist Manifesto. And be honest with yourself. When you read those documents, there's ideas in there that are just they're attractive as hell, man. This basic idea that left to their own devices, people will be good. You want to believe that? I want to believe that. Don't you? I'd love to believe that people left to their own devices would just be harmonious. That the only reason that people compete is because we create hierarchies and systems that separate people and make them enemies. It makes sense. Such an attractive idea. It's just not true. <laughs> That's, it's as simple as that. It's just not true. And the way you can tell it's not true is by its effect on humanity. When app when applied, you know, you know, I keep on going back to this because I think it's it's just so important moving into the next election season that we realize what these ideas are that we're dealing with that we're talking about you know in the u.s election at least it's looking like you know joe biden is going to be the candidate for the democrats obviously trump is going to be the conservative candidate and we don't know who's going to be the vice presidential candidate for for uh biden but there's a lot of things going on around biden biden does not look like he's in good health seems to be having some issues with dementia and honestly trying to imagine somebody that is struggling with those issues in a position the hardest job in the world like the president of the united states is an impossible job the president of the united states there's too many things to do you can't you can't perfect it right placing a man that's already having failing his where his his health is already failing into that position i think is absolutely irresponsible uh borderline cruel and and borderline evil i think <laughs> you know what i mean like that i feel bad because i i'm i'm one of those people like i loved biden in his prime He's one of those guys that was kind of a true, like a straight talker. He felt that way at least, um, at least in the old, you know, the, the classic political system, Biden was a straight talker, you know, um, it's weird now. Cause he's kind of like a symbol of establishment now, but he used to be kind of the opposite. He was more of a maverick, you know? And, and that's the Biden that I was attracted to. That's the Biden that like five or six years ago, I would have been like, hell yeah, dude, let's get Biden in there. You know what I mean? But not now guys, not now. Like I feel like it's just like he is there's something cruel about it i think to be quite honest and, and there's something sad deeply sad when i see that man on tv running for president um but the reason i bring it up uh is because moving towards this election cycle with all the craziness going on in, in the world and with all the economic craziness and stuff i'm telling you right now it's brace yourself because it's gonna get nasty i think I think this next election is going to get pretty nasty. And it's because there's a lot of things like coalescing at the same time. You have the coronavirus and the economic downturn due to the coronavirus. It's going to be the number one issue without a doubt. The only thing people are going to talk about is coronavirus, its effect, and how we're going to deal with it and get out of it, right? It's kind of like if you go into an election cycle in a wartime, you know, in your middle of Iraq or something, that's usually the topic that everybody's going to talk about, you know? um, Same thing. I think like this is effectively that, you know? It's a. It's a quasi-war, you know, just not being fought between two nations. And <clears throat> so what What? What I think is going to happen is there's going to be a lot of nastiness, a lot of accusations. You know, there's going to be a lot of blaming, uh, finger-pointing, that kind of stuff. Um, the thing I think we need to be cautious of is overreacting... I think, and, and, and honestly, is allowing what happened in 2016 to happen uh, to, to a, a higher degree, allowing kind of our ideas of people's ideas to control how we treat them rather than engaging with the ideas. You know, that's really what it was. I think 2016 is, you know, you had an idea of what people believed and then you accepted that idea. I did too. Everybody did. We had ideas of what the opposition believed and we accepted that idea without testing it first, without engaging with it because the engaging with the ideas is what's hard so also what's dangerous if you're like fighting for a team you know if you're on team liberal let's say or let's say we're on team democrat uh and you engage with a conservative idea or a, a conservative and let's say they they say something that we like that process i was talking about where you're fitting the puzzle pieces in let's say they give you a puzzle piece that like lights up everything else everything else fits or or let's say they give you give, gives you a puzzle piece that you can't refute but nothing else fits and you have to throw away everything else you assumed if you're a, if you're a, if you consider yourself a team member, that's dangerous. It's akin to infecting yourself with a virus, and that's how we treat it. That's how we treat other ideas in the political system in the United States at least. Is as if it's a virus. As if you, if you get it's a proximity problem. If you get too close to it, you're going to get infected by the idea, and then you'll then you won't be able to come back, you know? This idea is very prevalent on the left. I can guarantee you it is, because I've been in it. I've seen it, I've felt it, you know what I mean? It's just not true at all it's like it is a psychosis developing I think like this idea that we can't engage with ideas because it's going to infect us that there's certain ideas that are just so dangerous that if you touch them they, they cling to you it's not true it's actually the opposite it's it's the ideas that you don't engage with that actually wield power then because you don't dismantle them <laughs> you don't you don't you, you don't fight them it's the dragon that you avoid you know, and then it grows out of control, and then it's something you can't. Moving into this election cycle, we need to keep in mind all of these things that's happened before it come before us, all of these different systems, all the ideas that have been tried, you know, maybe humble ourselves and and, and think about or try to figure out if people have tried some of the ideas that we're coming up with. If you have a novel idea, figure out if it's novel first, you know what I mean? We have Google. You can find out in two seconds whether somebody's, like, thought of what you've thought about before and tried it. So see if they have. Because so often we come up with these ideas and we present them as if they're the thing that could solve the problem when 50 people have tried it before. And there's plenty of examples of it not working. But we don't want to admit that. And we just keep trying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. You know what I mean? This is a, this is a problem on both sides, every political spectrum, every part of that, that spectrum, you know. It's one of the big problems within the conservative movement is this idea that all you need to do is just deregulate and let people live their lives, you know what I mean? Everything goes hunky dory then. No. <laughs> this happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cuz people are shitheads. Is in a weird way, it's like it's like In a weird way, it's like the conservative and the liberal parties are both assuming the wrong things they're both assuming the same thing and it's wrong similar things and it's wrong that the people that have sided with them are intrinsically good and that the people that have sided on the other side are intrinsically bad and that there is this difference this fundamental difference between people I don't think that's true I think there's a lot of people in power that want you to think that's true I think there's a lot of people in power that want you to think that that other person is evil. That other person doesn't care about you. That the other person can't understand what you're saying or won't understand what you're saying. Or that that other person's ideas are dangerous. There's a lot of people that want you to think that right now. Those people telling you that, those are the dangerous ones. Those are the people you run away from. Those are the people you don't listen to. Because they're trying to control you. You should not be controlled. You should be free. And with that, let's jump on a podcast, guys. I hope you enjoyed this one. What we got to? Oh, almost an hour. Look at that. Um, We bounced all over. I started with the Morphic Resonance, ended with a political talk, but I hope it worked together well. Um, And even if it didn't, I'm going to come back to the Morphic Resonance uh, idea a little bit more as I kind of develop it more. And I'm going to engage with that book too. I just need to need to do some reading so uh but i hope you uh, enjoyed the podcast again and uh stay safe out there i will most likely be back either tomorrow or the next day with another episode see you later guys Bye bye